My mama always said, always said, always said, always said, always said, Jake, and you're um, are, are you uh, located in um, Oklahoma, correct? Oh uh, no, it's not in Oklahoma. I'm currently residing just outside of Boise, Idaho. It's very beautiful. The mountains have snow on them. It's a great place to live. Okay, awesome. Idaho. Idaho. Oh wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, what are you? Three hours behind us? Uh, two. Mountain time two. Oh, you're a mountain time. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. All right. Okay, so um, <clears throat> first of all, I would like to say, um, like Rob mentioned, you were in the military for 20 years. Okay, so first of all, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you for your service, sir. Thank you for your service. So, um, say that again? Thank you for noticing. So, what we're going to do here is we're going to start from um, the beginning. So, what... Um, you went. You went into the military in 1998, correct? Mm -hmm. How old were you then? Um, what brought you to make that decision? Uh, did you have? Do you have somebody in the military? Was your father uh, in the military, or aunt, cousin, brother, anything like that? Uh, yeah. So there's a great story there. My family's actually been in the service in the army since about here ever since the Civil War. Oh, oh wow. wow! That's amazing. Now, who was that exactly? I missed that. Was that a what relative was that? It's a great, great, great grandfather. It's six generations back. I'm wow. Six generation my family that served in the army. Now, was um, he in the north or the south? He was in the north. Okay. So, wow, that's yeah. amazing. Wow. And he actually enlisted in the 14th Brooklyn Regiment. I can't remember which borough you guys were in, but uh, not too far away from where you guys are currently at. Um, and some of the family members, the headstones, were in uh, one of the cemeteries in Brooklyn. Wow. Um, we've gone back and, and came in that sort of stuff. So it's pretty cool. Wow. Uh, so I grew up with all these military, you know, our family history and military history stories were kind of there. And a terrible high school student. I mean, actually, miserable student. In high school, my dad had the courage to look at me and be really honest. And he's a very kind man, but he looked at me and he said, Son, he said, I could send you to college. I've saved up for it, but uh, it'd be a waste of your time and my money. So you need to figure out what you're going to do in life if you're not really here anymore. And why Why do you think he said that? He, did, he didn't go to college himself? No, my dad went to college, but he looked at me and, and I didn't have the discipline to be successful in college. So he knew oh, so he just... the hard way to kick me out of the house. Wow. So, yeah, so, Dad kicked me out of the house, and I used to work at a scout. I used to work at a camp in the summertime, mm -hmm. and so I was like uh, having, you know, my food and my place to sleep with somebody else's worry, you know, and just let me do whatever the job was. And so the only kind of offered that same sort of thing. 
So while I was working at summer camp that summer, I uh, I enlisted and then shipped out in uh, January of '98. Um, okay. And uh, that started my adventure in the service. And how old were you exactly when that happened? I was, I was 19. Oh wow. I'm just asking because my um my, my father was in the military and he was in the navy. He joined when he was 17 and he was in it for 15 years. My father was in the air force for about 4 years and my cousin right now, Anthony, he's um in the air force and he's in Afghanistan, which he's basically stuck there right now. He should have came home in March, but because of COVID-19, he's actually stuck out there right now in Afghanistan. That's, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that either. Yeah, we've got a few things that are impacted by that. There's a base just north of Afghanistan that needs to be flying out of Kalkichi. It's called, it's called Manas, and it's in Kajikistan. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of folks that are temporarily on hold there um, that aren't used to being there. Uh, and that base can only handle a certain number of folks. And it's, it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's not a comfortable place to be at when you're <laughs> yeah. for a long period of time. Right. So, yeah. Do you know Okay, so... Um... <clears throat> You went to uh, you went into the military, right? Mm-hmm. And I see here. Well, you were uh, talking to me uh, in the emails, by the way, uh, um, Danny. So I saw that um, you came in as a what, what's what's the the lowest rank is private. Right. Okay. So and what is that? E, you, what was that? E one or something like that along those lines? I was a star scout, Jake, but I, that's how far I got. I was a star scout. What what exactly? What is this stuff? I don't know what this is. Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts he's talking about. Oh. You know? No, I had no idea. Yeah, Eagle Scouts, Scouts the highest rank. I think, yeah. what, what, what does and it go Rob's again? It's like, one, it, it goes from Eagle Scout, scout. then li- uh, from highest to lowest is Eagle Scout, then life, then star, then first or something like that. I forgot exactly. I can't remember either. Yeah, it's been a long time for me. Yeah. So you got a pay bump immediately because you were already like an Eagle Scout. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Did you know that before going into it, or was that just like a perk that you found out about once you were on on the job? I, I knew that because my, again, my dad had served, and so there were some things you just kind of pick up from the band. You walked in with some tips already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I got was you. Young, and I was dumb and I was stupid, and well, that's, yeah, that's kind of where my men start off in life. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm still stupid. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all are. How was the, uh, how was the, what, did the, what exactly did you have to go through for uh, boot camp? So we took Fort Jackson, South Carolina for boot camp. Okay. Uh, Uh, but that's where I started off at. We were learning how to, how to put uh, 
telephone networks together. Like, so you deploy someplace where there was no infrastructure and there was, you know, any sort of communications, and I'd be one of their friends, you know, helping to, to establish those communication lines. Okay. But in the job. So now, something like that, is that something that, um, did you have, did you have to do that, uh, were you maintaining them or were you building them from the ground up? So, our equipment was on the back of Humvees. So uh -huh. the idea is you, you drive out to wherever you need to set up at, and then you set these Humvees up, and they would be kind of like the, like, you know, like in your neighborhood, right? You have, uh, you have some routing, you know, um, boxes, right? You have other things like that. Those for us were on the back of these Humvees. And then you have to connect them using a wireless network and not mm. Wi-Fi, but like line of sight stuff that you would see on the top of towers right. um, and things like that. And this is all like pre-cellular. We actually had a, a, an early version of cellular capability in the military um, that we would also consultate with this network that we would build. It's kind of cool. Yeah, now, let me ask you something. Um, were you in that field uh, with communications because you chose that, or was that something that you scored high in the aptitude and they wanted you to be in that specific section? So, in the Air Force, your high score kind of determines where you land after a job. In the Army, you actually get to choose. They have to, mm. oh, they have okay. to qualify for a certain range of jobs and then you get to pick. And uh, my dad had given me his advice to say, like, look, if you make you a tank driver and you may offer you a lot of money. He said that you, nobody's going to hire a tank driver after you get out of the service because you never stay in for life, right? You always get out of something. Oh, right, okay. yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Take something where it's going to translate outside of the military, and I said, well, everybody uses a telephone, so I'll go do that, right? Yeah. And they actually offered me a tank driver and turned down my own. Good. It was yeah, definitely good advice. That's, that, yeah, that's really yeah, smart. That worked out. So, um, at what point did you become an officer? So I did my first eight years um, after duty as a, a soldier and then worked my way up being a sergeant, right? So by the time I finished that first eight-year chunk, I was a staff sergeant, so I was a D6, mm. um, which meant I was in charge of about 10 or 15 guys, sometimes up to 30 or 40 Right. And, uh, you know, so I did that, that staff sergeant thing, and then they had a, a deal where another... This is 2005, 2006 window. And so what would happen is uh, we were constantly deploying back to back, right? Lots of guys were, were going from, say, I was stationed at Fort, you know, Borgen, and then they'd get transferred, you know, after they got back from deployment, they'd get transferred to, like, you know, um, Fort, Fort Stewart or something else like that, and then they'd get picked up for another deployment, right? So it was constant uh, deployment thing. And I, I needed to have a break in my career. So what I did is I did a, a program they had to become an officer. They let me go to school for two years. I still got my full pay, kind of towards retirement, but I got to go to school for two years. Um, and uh, so I did that. So I was enlisted for 10 years officially before I transitioned to becoming an officer. And oh. it was because I finished my college degree, and uh, yeah, that was kind of how things evolved from there. Um, so just out of curiosity, you said you had to have a break in your service. Um, is that something that they that, that was mandated? No, 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 that's a, that's a break from my health. It breaks from constantly being deployed. Oh. My family would have, was not dealing well with the stress of deployment. Right. So I needed to find something I could do for a year and a half to years to be able to make sure that we could stay together and work as a family. So this actually works both ways. It works really well for career advancement. It works really well for the family. And we just could 
Utah State University on a map, literally, never been there before. Yeah. I looked at a map and said, hey, let's go here, and then I applied, and we got there. So, <laughs> that really well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's um, incredible. So the, um, you were awarded a bronze, two bronze medal stars. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about that? How do you get those? Um, what exactly are they? So the bronze star medal is, um, so there's certain medals you can only get in a combat environment, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're in combat or not, it's a combat environment. There's certain medals you can only get there. The bronze star medal is one of those medals. Um, so you can only earn it when you're in a combat or sports theater. Um, if you see a guy who's got a bronze star medal with a B device, right? So he would wear the medal or the ribbon with the B on there. Mm -hmm. That is somebody who's probably infantrymen or artillerymen directly involved in the combat situation and earned it for valor. Okay. Right? So, like, my grandfather has a couple of bronze stars with a, a B device on there from his work in right. France and World War II as an infantry officer. Being communications, there was no thing I could do, you know, combat-wise, right? So I worked really hard at, at how does this start? It's like, I can't see the future, right? But there have been situations in my life where I could see around the corner. Right? Yeah. People for what's coming around the corner. Yeah, that's, so, in, that's interesting that you said that, because I actually, I had uh, a similar thought to that uh, not even that long ago, where, where I, I was basically... I was in that same mind frame where something happened that I figured was gonna was gonna happen, and I felt like I could see it in my head already playing out, and then it did, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Wow!" I that, I literally felt like I just had a vision or something. Yeah. So for the first one, star, it's the same thing. For the first one, star, we're down there in Iraq, in two thousand and five, uh, and or maybe two thousand six. I can't remember. Right? We there for nine months. Era, right? Yeah. And and I'm saying that nobody's using telephones anymore. The telephone clip is gonna go away. How can I train myself and train my soldiers on what's going to replace this stuff so they're ready, right? And so I would, they put me on the night shift, and I would, I would study for about six hours, then build training content for another three, and then be able to do an hour worth of training with my guys in the morning before I would be so tired and crash out. Right. But because I did that, they were really well prepared. So when we... When we had to go, you know, mission change while we were in Iraq. These guys uh, that I trained were ready to go, and it made a big enough difference that you know the leadership recognized me with the bronze star. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got the first one was was being able to get these guys ready for the change from telephone equipment to more IT based or computer based equipment. And, right. Uh, it was a lot of fun at the time. Right. So then. Um... So you're 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 very good with computers then, safe to assume. I can make them do some things, but I don't know how to make them do awful things. So they're <laughs> way smarter people than Jacob. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so can you um can you talk to me a little bit about um what it was like being deployed to Iraq? Mm -hmm. So we did two deployments to Iraq. The first one was actually the invasion. So right. we were a couple of days behind uh, 3rd Infantry Division, um, and we're just a communications unit. Like, our Humvees have got, like, canvas doors, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're rolling north, and at the time, because, again, I'm, I'm kind of, my brain thinks in computer language sometimes, or thinks like a computer sometimes. Right. Um, we didn't have GPS. So they wanted us to roll north, they didn't have GPS, so they're not sure come up here. And 
So that I, there's a master design for people on foot, not necessarily people driving. Mm-hmm. And, and so I ended up programming all of the GPSs that they went out and bought from the local store while we were in Kuwait. So that way we could navigate the entire unit going northward. And how do you, how do you even do something like that? Um, they gave us three intersections uh, that I was able to program in for all the GPSs, but it was all by hand. Wow. So you had to type in, yeah, it's like a 16 digit number, I think it is, for each one of those grid locations, and I'd have to go through and type all those in. And, and that's how we rolled north um, in, in the Iraq. It, it's interesting because between the, the stun missiles that we were getting shot at with when the war first started when we were still down in Kuwait, and then some of the other stuff that happened there, we got pretty, like the dudes that did that with me, we got pretty used to like stuff blowing up around you. Wow. Oh my, that is crazy. That's a crazy notion that you could just be normal to something like that. You got used to it, yeah. yeah so, so, you know, towards first six, seven months of the deployment, we're sitting right on the south end of the Baghdad International Airport. We're literally at the resort that Ube and Kuse used to, you know, bring women over to them and kill them later on and, and that sort of stuff. And we, you know, once our equipment's up and running, you know, we were doing other things, but there's a lot of times where you're just bored, right? Well, one day we had this new lieutenant, right? So she was green. She just graduated college with a degree in biology, right? And now she's a communications officer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and somebody is, is shooting. So on an RPG, you have the ability to set the fuse, right? So it can explode in the air. Okay. Right? okay. So somebody is shooting at the airplanes that they're trying to land. They're shooting RPG rounds at them. And, you know, those RPG rounds are exploding, but they're like, not not half a mile away, but a few hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, should we get down? And we're all looking for like, yeah, we're good now. We're, we're good. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. How do you, the, it's yeah. crazy that you even said that you could get bored. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. But in the same breath, you could say that you got used to bombs going off around you. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and if you do, if, if you were able to go back and watch the whole series of MASH, right? Nash actually did a very good job mm-hmm. of kind of communicating their times when it's really intense and you're getting something done. Like if one of my radio links was out and I needed to, to work on that, you know, there are people depending on that link functioning. Right, yeah, of course. Get their right? That's a really intense time for me. You know, it's not getting shot at like lots of other people did. There are better heroes out there than Jacob, right? But it's one of those really intense times. And then you can switch from that to that's working. And you know, what are we going to do today? And, you know, you kind of, every day is the same. There's no weekend, there's no nothing. Every day is really the same. Until you're yeah. Not yeah. That, yeah, that, that's literally, that's what you're used to doing day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So what made you stay as long as you did? I mean, that that's a long, that's a long time that you stood in for. It, it is, but there's more change. Um, change. Change always comes. Even if it feels like that one day, change is going to come. And one of the techniques I've developed over time is to actually recognize where things have changed because you won't notice it. It will be so small when you're in that ground home day zone that you won't notice it. But you can train yourself to notice it and then take the time to, to celebrate it or to call it out. Yeah. You know, and I do that I do that now as a project manager. There's a lot of project managers like the same treasury. But it's, as, as the manager in that space, I take the time to look at people and celebrate you just accomplished this thing that we thought months ago would have been impossible. Right. right. 
So, so between, you know, three days ago and now, nobody would have noticed the difference because it's always the same treasury. Okay. And then realized, hey man, three months ago, this was what we were, this was the mountain of crime you were there, right? Way to go and celebrating that and recognizing those moments. So time was just going, like you just blinked and, and years just went by. Yeah, that that's surreal. That's probably surreal. So I can't wait to have that moment with my son. You know, like wow, this kid is an inch. I mean, it's probably unlikely because yeah, we're six five, but <laughs> if I like, I hope one day I can have a son and be like, wow, you're almost my height. You're going to have all daughters now. <laughs> um, so then, uh, so you went back in 2005 and, and you did pretty much the same things. It was just all communications work? Yeah, more communications work in 2005. Worked on the transition to get us out of telephone equipment and then more computer-based stuff. And um, how, how and long? Then, yeah, go ahead. So the first one was just over a year. That invasion and everything else was just over a year. Right. Second one was nine months because I had to get to college, right? So I right. had to leave like uh, two months early so I could make my way back to college, and uh, and that was that was really uh, good timing and very healthy for me mentally and and for my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I could imagine. So then, um, so you took time off. Uh, you said so. You, how long? How long did you take? Oh, you said about a year and a half. Yeah, I. Uh, they were releasing for up to two years. I got college done. Wait, I'm sorry. You got four years of college done in 18 months? A bachelor's in 18 months. No, I had my... No, 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 no. Ooh, that's, that's a little bit of a mistake. I had my associate's finished. Oh. I had two years left for school. I got uh. it finished. Instead of doing it 24 months, I got it done in 18 months. Oh, wait. So um, when did you get your associate's then? On nights and weekends, working in the army. That, 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 that oh, oh, okay. I, I see. I did nothing but college stuff. Right, okay. Um, so you got it at the same time. Okay. Um, and yeah, then you... So, go ahead. I was just trying to share with your, your listeners. There are, for those who want to get college credit, there's these things called CREP tests, College Level Examination Program. It's like 80 bucks to take a test, but if you already know stuff about general science or math or English, you can take these tests, spend the 80 bucks, and then you don't have to sit in a classroom and listen to somebody lecture and do all that homework. You can literally spend four hours taking a test or three hours taking a test and you're done. Really? But these are are these are these strictly for prerequisite classes or are for they are they for the more advanced ones also? Uh, they're mostly for your general studies and the associate program, mm. right? So you don't you don't have to sit in the classroom for a lot of those associate classes. That's what I did. I, I knew I wanted to apply to this uh, uh, college program, right? Yeah. So. So a week before I shipped out, my wife would take me up to the base, drop me off at the, the testing center, and I would sit there and take two, three hours a test. So that way I could make sure I had enough credit. By the time I applied, my associates would have been guaranteed. And so that's how we, like, just right under the wire, you know, the week before I left. Yeah, I right. That... The time. I'm doing college yeah, uh, I wish I would have known that. I would have I done the same exact thing. I wish I would have known that. I, I went back to college. Uh, to get a degree in nutrition, I wish I would have known that because I would have. I, I had a whole bunch of other prerequisites that I had to get done. It would have saved me so much time. Oh yeah, twenty-four yeah. semester hours in one semester. That's yeah. How did you manage that? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, so there's this. Um, when I didn't know the name of the time. I learned it from 
Is everything, right? Right? So if I was taking a math and a biology and a social sciences and an English, none of those subjects work together. Right. And if I take public speaking and then rhetoric and then English, right, and then like a history class and then a business class, I can use the textbook from each one of those classes as a source in every paper I write for any one of those classes. Yeah. One hundred percent. I did. Yeah. I, oh, you know, I was just gonna say I did that for a. Uh, I had a philosophy class, and uh, um, you know who Emmanuel uh, Kant is? Yep. Yeah. So he's his work obviously spreads through um, across a lot of subjects. So I took a philosophy class, um, a an astronomy class, and also an English class all at the same time that were geared around uh, like abstract theories and uh, conventional theories of the universe and things like that. And they all, every single one of those classes, I had to write a paper about Immanuel Kant. So I would literally just take one, I would write one paper for one class and then I would just change it uh, according to the subject that I had to hand it in for. So, so I still wrote the same, I still wrote different papers for each classes, but yeah. I didn't have to do any more reading. Right, yeah, I, exactly. I right, it, it was just easy because the academic, you know, for my stuff, like, you can't reuse the paper. Okay, fine, not a problem. Mm -hmm. But still, just the ability to wear, and then I can use the same quote in five different papers right now. And five, uh, right, yeah, that, that was my point. That That's pretty much what I did. It wasn't, it wasn't like a photocopy of, like, you know, the, right. the same exact paper, but that's that's pretty much what I was getting at. But that's that's incredibly yeah. smart, and a lot of people don't know to do that. So it's safe to say you were with her before you entered the military. No, I met her in Germany. Oh wow! I met her over there. Wow, um, that's crazy. For a family that was about a half hour away from the town I was living in, we met a church. 
pretty cool. Wow. That's crazy. So, so that's, random. Yeah, that's incredible. Shout yeah. out to women, man. I mean, even my like my girlfriend, I've been with her for five years. I plan on marrying her. She helps me with everything. Mm. <laughs> so um Germany. Uh, so all right, so let me. Um, wait, real quick, just all to right, backtrack. Right. So Germany was she a was she she was German though, or was she like an American that was in Germany at the time? She she's a Canadian. Canadian, uh, okay. Canadian, yeah, met in Germany. Um, who was a nanny? <laughs> that's that. That's crazy. When you say it like that, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Okay, so <laughs> so at this point, um, you were while you were getting your uh bachelors you were out of the military and then you went back in 2012 um of all the artillery soldiers um, that go through Fort Phil, right? Um, not all of them, but like, I don't know, 40% of them, no other folks in the can doing the job too, right? So I'm, I'm working and I'm the guy on the line when they go out and do their by fire training, right? And it's quite a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once again, stuff coming up and making that normal, which is interesting. And, uh, and then from there, what happens is uh, the unit I was with um, got. They, they took all of the officers and a couple of the enlisted guys and they sent us over to Afghanistan in 2012. So that way we could train uh, the Afghan army, right? So we mm. could train an Afghan army unit. And uh, that, was, that was interesting because it was an advisory role. Right? We weren't really expected to do anything. Like there was no like pick up and moving type of thing. Like all these columns that were help these guys get ready and you have to build some sort of a useful evaluation of whether or not you did that. Um, and get ready for us leaving, by the way, which was another interesting set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. We're getting ready to leave and the Afghans know it. They, uh, they start getting their behavior changes. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's not so they can take initiative in your absence. <laughs> it's so they can come. There's a, Mohammed Karzai, who was the, the president of Afghanistan for a number of years, he's really good at um, making sure his country was poor and uh, that his government was ineffective. Right. Because as long as it stayed poor and ineffective, then they would be able to get people in the international community to spend money on his government. Mm. And um, so that's what he did. He did a very good job pretending like things were going to work, but authorized a lot of plans and projects that were just seen to fail uh, because it didn't matter if they succeeded or not. They just need to get money from other people and uh, so yeah, that's that's a real thing. Right. Yeah. That's um that's that's kind of scary. So um at this point, so how long were you in Afghanistan for? So Afghanistan I was there for uh, nine months. By that point the military got the smart and they didn't want us to play for mm-hmm. So they had us deployed for nine months at a time. <laughs> um That wasn't Iraq? And no, I can't. Uh, Iraq was a year. So I did a year in Iraq during the invasion. Nine months in Iraq the second time came home early from college. And then Afghanistan was another nine month deployment advising the Afghan army guys that we were working with. Right. 
So, um, when did you start writing your books? You uh, don't and don't tell me that you were doing this all while going to school and training guys and all that <laughs> stuff because I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to leave this conversation. <laughs> the girl who turned into a lion. That that book. So in, in college, that semester where like I did twenty four semester hours and then did a five k run, break my security out and stuff like that. I was like, hey, this is cool. I can do a lot of things. Like I wonder, you know, like if I could write a paper that would get published in an academic journal, right? Because all the professors are talking about how important it is to be published, blah blah blah. Right. And I said, well, I'm just an undergrad. I wonder if I could probably follow you, right? I was like, I wonder if I could write something for something. Mm-hmm. So I worked with a professor. Professor one semester, and I said, Look, I said, I don't care about any other homework. I said, Let's work together and make my grade based upon a paper of whether or not it gets published in an academic journal. And she said, Okay. <laughs> wow. So we worked hard to get that done, and once I realized how easy it was to get things published, it was basically writing and then submitting it, you know, in case it's done. Um, I started working on books just on the side, and it's it's not hard, it's just, it's, you have to be consistent. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Right? So, so 45 minutes a day and stick to it, right? And some days are going to be better than others and there's no progress in that, blah, blah, blah. But 45 minutes a day, you just keep going or an hour a day or two hours a day, whatever you do, you And eventually you've got a book. Um, and so I was doing that. Well, I was training soldiers in the field. That's where the first two books I did. Mm. And then I wrote the third one while I was in Afghanistan. So you're saying 45 minutes a day minimum is what you, you have to dedicate to it or it's not like a successful progress? Well, I think that's yeah. just what yeah. worked for me. Yeah. yeah. But I'm saying 45 minutes was like something you came up with or is that like research, like you saw that out like in research, you know? Yeah, no, that's why I wanted to know. Oh, okay. And that third one you wrote was in Afghanistan, the one you wrote um, for your daughter? Yeah, that's, that's the one. Yeah, it's just a fiction piece. I, I wrote it for her. Um, I also wrote it to kind of give me a place to mentally escape to. Because you were stressed so, out. It says that you were stressing of so, that deployment. Why were you? Why were you stressing of that deployment? Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, it was like it gave me a place to escape when writing this book, when dealing with the stresses of that deployment. Like, what were your hardships that you were going through in regards to using that as an escape plan or a way to, like, you know, relieve the stress? Yeah, so the Afghan army guys that we're working with um, can't be trusted. They're, they're nice people. Okay. They can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in an environment where you're living with them, I mean, they have walls between us, but you know, you're constantly around them. They speak another language. You don't understand it. Um, you're not sure. So we started that deployment during our training where they said that, hey, you're going to an environment where if it were a city in the United States, Right, mm-hmm. um, it would be the worst city for crime. And if you were the police officer, you would be more likely to die. That you know, three times more likely to die uh, in the role that we were going to have in Afghanistan than on the streets of Chicago. Okay, so that that answers why you needed an escape. Yeah, <laughs> that explains right. it. Yeah, right. That's crazy. So, uh, we had one soldier that was sexually assaulted. That happened. Wow.
we don't mess around with, uh, with the discipline. So how did you how did you get into this? Was the third book that you wrote? Oh, so you were okay. So you were already in the in the the motions of writing books in general, and you just thought to yourself, uh, how how did you even get this idea? I mean, I see that it was inspired by your by your daughter. Yeah. Um. But how exactly did this um even come into fruition that you that you figured I should write a a, a book about this? So it's sort of just a dumb idea. When I realized that right before we started. Uh, working with the Afghan guy, we were in some sort of training environment where it was like eight hours of, of training. We were already on the ground in Afghanistan, but it was something where we didn't have like 12 hours off afterwards. There was only so much energy we could watch. And then suddenly I had the question, I was like, what would happen if you turned in the line? What would happen if a girl turned in the line? <laughs> and I said, okay, well, let's write a story based upon this premise and see where it goes. That's what happened. It's not a very, like, this isn't one of those like, Winning the Newberry, you know, Young Children's Award type of book. Yeah. I was like, you know, what would happen? You know, the girl's got to be a princess. Things have to happen. And in your stories, you want to get a chance to share life lessons. And so, with what life lessons do I want to put these characters in positions to share so that will resonate with my children at some point in their life? Mm. And so, I put a few of those in there so that way they could, they could see kind of the, that lesson, that moral, and the thought process. So um, that was kind of fun. But the characters are actually named on the areas near where we were at in Afghanistan. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask so, you next. If, uh, if, so I needed to memorize the areas right. and, and the terrain around us. And I have these names, you know, uh, Mokwin and, and Dashtuck and, and a few other things were, were in that area. And so I gave, I took those names of like, you know, Dashtuck means little desert, right? But I gave it the name of the name male character in the book because it would help me it would give me a reason to practice practice the phrases and learn the geography. No. Um, and and so that's kind of part of it as well. And then something else is I think always been a big fan of the Linux and open source stuff. So there's always some reference to some open source and Linux thing in my books where I use uh, a name that people who are Linux nerds could find, you know, if you wanted to know or something like that. So so I did that and that was fun. Um and then I even got to use an audio book, which is even cooler. I hired somebody out of Colorado to narrate it, and so it's available as an audio book. And that was a, a fun thing to work on where you're trying to hire somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That sounds really tedious to, to get all the, the voice, the vocals done and stuff like that. Yeah, she, she read it in for recent, so I just had to hire them at a hourly rate or whatever it was. And uh, the, the narrator and producer were just great to work with. That's, that's good. Now let me ask you something. Was there like sound effects and all that thrown in, or was it just like vocals and the story? No, just your vocals. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to be over there. It felt really isolated, uh, you know, to be there. And so having the ability to see, hey, I started this project, and then it, it got to this level of maturity, felt really good. Yeah, of because course. It couldn't make a difference with the Afghans, right? They didn't care about getting better. Yeah. That. So there was any measurement to get there. So you had to measure yourself on something else. You measure yourself on something else. And so um, that's what I measured myself on. And it was very healthy to have something like a few All right. Okay. All right. Um, the book, um, Your Future Demands Greatness. Now, that was just based on the strength of um, of your, your grandfather, like right before he entered into World War II. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? 
Yeah, so when I was in, I left the first time, and there's moments of boredom, and there's flashbacks. Because that, that first time in Iraq, man, I just like, we had to deal with mail. You know, my parents didn't use email until that first appointment in Iraq. So, so we were exchanging letters back and forth. My dad would do packaging. And one of the things he that my grandfather had saved from his dad. So my great-grandfather wrote my grandpa while he was at West Point. And my grandpa, when I was born, and, and I, my memories of him, he was like Superman. You know, right. you know that, that old guy in your family where his handshake feels like it could crush you. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just look up to him. Like, that is my impression of my grandpa my whole life. And then I read these letters and I realized that my grandpa, when he was about my age, was young and dumb and stupid and scared and needed a mentor. And so what I realized was, oh my goodness, everybody goes through this between the ages of like 16 and 22. Mm-hmm. And, and oh my goodness, we still have people who go through this inside of the military structure. And so the Your Future Demands Greatness, that, that book, was designed as a series of letters that were written to more modern soldiers going into service. Um, than, than the ones that my grandfather had. And uh, a friend of mine work, actually, her son was joining the Air Force, and so she went out and bought the book for him to read about the, you know, feeling lonely and second basic training and that sort of thing. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, mm. she, she wrote me, she called me the other day, and she was like, hey, Jacob, this stuff is good. I was like, come on, that's right. Kind of fun. Uh, and uh, it, it, it made a difference. The future would have that, it made a difference. Um, right. Now, considering you said that you had, um, what were you, so again, it was your great great grandfather that was in the Civil War. Yeah, so I don't know how to, I don't know how many generations back we go. Okay, so uh, I'll just for example, so Private uh, Gallant Lee Gallant Lee was in the Civil War, right? Yeah. His son, Frederick Lee. Yeah, Frederick Rutgers, and some Frederick Rutgers was in the cavalry and uh, worked you know, the, the whole Indian campaign during the uh, the rebel half of the 1800s, right? So okay. uh, Frederick Rutgers did that. They ended up settling in Walla Walla, Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so his son, also a Frederick Rutgers, uh, ended up uh, joining the service as well, right? And then my grandfather, uh, so, so the first, the second Frederick Rutgers was uh, a colonel in World War II, and I've got a pistol with his, that actually has cartoon graphs from the Japanese war on the handgun. Wow. Yeah, so, so he fought on the Pacific side. His son, right, so this is my grandpa, Fred Rutgers, who is his name, so sorry. So Fred, um, Fred joined the Army, joined the National Guard in Washington at the age of 16 or 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went to West Point, uh, and then saw as an infantry officer in World War II in uh, Europe. Um, so that's him. And then my dad um, missed the, the end of the Vietnam War, just timing-wise and thank goodness, uh, and then ended up being a, a reserve officer during the Cold War and while I was growing up. So we still have a full-time job at an insurance company in Connecticut, right? But, but we, uh, we, we go off for two weeks. And do his uh, military drills and that sort of stuff each year. Yeah. So I'm number six, right? So I'm number six in there. Um, how's that one? So that's 
Yeah, my grandfather was in World War II as well. I mean, he uh, he actually got shot in the back, but he did survive. He was in the World War II as well. Um, my grandfather lost his leg in uh, one of the wars that he was in. He was it was in Italy. I don't remember exactly which war that which war that was, but he stepped on a mine. Oh wow! And lost his uh, left leg. Now you don't have any. Um, you didn't have any relatives or um, any relatives in the First World War. Now let me ask you something. Did that play a role in why you joined the military? Like, did you feel pressure because of that, or did you feel like you wanted to because of that? I wanted to because of that. My dad was very that's great honestly that's great that he he, he didn't force it on you because like my dad was in the yeah. navy for 15 years and he would always constantly tell me like why don't you just go to the navy go to the navy go to the navy so yeah that's definitely great that they didn't like really force it on you right yeah Now let me ask you something. Did you have any siblings or anything like that that were in the service as well? Or cousins? Uh, my, my older brother wanted to go into West Point but didn't get nominated for it because you have to be nominated by a family. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I know. My younger brother uh, looked at going into the Air Force, but that was not the best choice for him, so that didn't turn out. So I was the only one out of the three boys. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Interesting. All right. Okay, so I want to ask you just a couple more questions um, just about your uh, your books and also what life is like for you now uh, right uh, before we actually start wrapping up. Um, so I want, I wanted to ask you your, your books, how do you, um, you self, do you self publish these, do you, but did you have anybody that, uh, um, like a, did you have like an editor or anything like that? Somebody that was working with you, um, other than your yeah. wife? Yeah, so I, actually my wife, she wrote this to the rough draft version verbally, so she doesn't do that. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's our relationship. I hired friends to edit. How long have you been how long have you been podcasting for? How long have you been podcasting for? And does it pay for itself?
doing stuff beforehand. I've always been creating content in some type or another. Right. But in September, I decided, oh, my theme for my podcast is going to be gratitude and curiosity. And then once I figured out that, I, I started giving my, my whatever studies and episode numbers. Mm-hmm. So I think I just published episode 114 today, and it was on uh, how you can distract yourself when you are dealing with um, situations that you know need you to where you need a mental escape. Um, and so this is the story of riding a bike through Budapest uh, with a boot on my foot, like one of those surgical boots, like right. the cast type of thing. Yeah. So I rode, rode a bike through Budapest with my youngest daughter on the bike rack on the back um, so we could see the, the, the city of Budapest. And she would get bored and I would distract her by singing the song badly so then she would hear it. And by the yeah. time she was done singing the song, then she, she would stop and bored. Yeah, that's funny. About, but, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of fun to do that. Um, I did a much better job recording that on my episode just now. Um, yeah, don't see self published. Uh, <laughs> and it's a fun way to go. You have total control. Uh, tell your story. Get it out there. It, there's a sense of permanence when you can hold something in your hand and say, this is going to be around after I'm not. Yeah, something tangible. It just shows progress. Yeah, you know. It shows progress. Um, let me ask something. Do you the, do you do the podcast by yourself? Do you have a co-host? I, it's, I do it by myself. I've done interviews with folks, um, uh, other podcasters, and those are a lot of fun too. Yeah. Uh, but they're a little longer What is it, like 30, 15-minute episodes? We've spoken to, uh, I don't know, how, how many interviews are we in now? Oh. I think, seven, I would say seven, eight. Well, I, no, I think they're more than I that. I think over ten. Really? Yeah. Well, well, I, we, we'll have we, to find that out. Yeah, we've spoken to, we've spoken to a lot of people from all different... Um, walks of life. Yeah, literally yeah. all different walks of life, all different experts of their fields, and we have learned a lot so far. And honestly, um, I mean, it goes back to what you said. The reason why we kind of started this was pretty much to, um, it wasn't necessarily to get like a specific, um, story out as in like, cause there's, there's three of us here. So it's not like we each had uh, a specific story we wanted to get out. It was more of the story that we had collectively and more on, on just how our journeys of life were and how they're going now. And we're pretty much just showing people that it doesn't really matter what you're doing but you can always learn something else and and um, kind of play the hand that you're dealt in a different way. Yeah, yeah. and it's so mutually supportive. You know, I, I 
my audience, right? But some things I'm not creating for my audience. I'm creating for me. Right, yeah. I understand that because some things they're not listening. You know what I mean? Like, we, we have our different motivations, but, but this ecosystem and the technology that enables it is so healthy for everyone involved. Right. Um, at least it can be. If you're, if you're a podcaster and you're always focusing on the numbers and you're not seeing them, that's not a healthy podcast, right? If you're doing it because you're learning from the process of creating the content and that sort of stuff, and, and you're learning because you like to do the interviews or you like to do what you're doing or you like your topic, then, then hey, man, the, the, the audience you know that matters will show up and the audience that wouldn't care anyway. Why are you trying to go chase That's them? true, yeah. I like, definitely feel yeah, you on exactly. that. Like, we just want to hear people who want to hear us. But um, right. uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you real quick is um, – what was it that made you get out? You know, what, what was it that made you leave the military if opposed to still being in right now? So, um, you only get an opportunity to really make that career shift uh, before the age of like 45, right? When you're 45 and looking for a job and you've only been in the military, it's very hard. Um, okay. Because you're only seen as a one-trip pony. Even though the military may have asked you to do a whole number of different things and all these different skill sets, they don't translate well outside of the military. I would have never thought that either. I would have thought like you would have, be able to have like your pick of the litter when it came to jobs because you were in the service. No, I had to, I had to fight for it. And, and wow. you can do it. You can get a job in a career, right? By the time yeah. you're leaving the service and you're as far as helping you get employment after the military, you find yourself and get a job. They don't care if it's, you know, laying down sod, right, and trimming somebody else's trees, or if it's being a consultant that, you know, can charge you $500 an hour, they don't care. You know, they just care that you're not unemployed. Yeah. And so, if you want to have a career, you've got to manage that yourself. And so, I needed to get out. I got out at the 20-year mark because it allowed me to draw military retirement, which, for my projected health and age of life, that, you know, that's, that's not insignificant, right? That's, uh, that's a really, you know, it's a, it's a million dollar retirement package, essentially. But, yeah. You probably have um, a nice pension. Definitely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 20, 20 years, I would assume. Jeez. Yeah. It's, it's really good. We're very grateful for it. You know, um, we're, we're very grateful for it. We're very grateful that we did it. But yeah, I need to make that transition out. Otherwise, I would have been not able to, you know, I would have only had my military retirement versus now. Uh, my kids are all like the teenage years and they're expensive. So yeah. having, having the retirement income to pay the mortgage and then, you know, having my other job. Because you remember, i got to start a couple of rooms down, you know, yeah. when you start outside of the military. You start a couple of rooms down, you move up pretty quickly. But I'm still only two years after having left the service. Yeah. I've only just started a couple of rooms down. I've got three more years before I can really make that, that next jump up to that next, uh, that next bracket. You know what I mean? Where... Yeah, my uh, my dad was actually in the Navy 15 years, and then right after he became a cop, literally like as soon as he left after 15 years, he became a cop, and now he's about to retire in like two or three months. Oh man, celebrate with him because that's a big deal. It feels 
it's hard to be a structured organization like the military or like the police force. And so when, when people make that transition out, take the time to celebrate that with them. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to know what to do with themselves. They may have talked for years about, oh, but I'm tired, but you love to look at that. Right? But when it comes down to it, it's such a difference in your day-to-day that one of the best things you can do is celebrate with those folks to recognize all the work that's done. Um, so I really hope you get a chance to do that when he retires. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, he's about to retire in about two months now. Um, but he only got out at 15 years because um, him and my mom were together and she got pregnant with me. And there was an opt-out program at the time where you could take like a lump sum or you could take a payment over the next, I think it was like 16 years. So he just did it on the strength that, you know, my mom was pregnant with me. He needed to be have spent more time around me. And then he transitioned into being a cop. Now he's got two pensions. Yeah, which is great. But yeah, um, I just wanted to ask you, what is the biggest transition that you see and the biggest change between the military and transitioning back to reality in real life? Like, what's the what's the biggest difference between the two? Follow-up question. Uh, you said that the structure, living in that sort of structure is hard. Uh, can you kind of, can you elaborate a little bit on that for people who don't really understand what that means? Yeah, so uh, one of the ways it's really coveted is just your vocabulary. Right, the military has its own vocabulary mm-hmm. for what things mean. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and, and then you develop your own phraseology on top of that, right? So I've used military terms in my project management work, and I have people giving me blank stares. specific example right now. But, you know, one of the phrases I use is that dog down hunt, which is just one of the, you know, a bunch of those guys got used to saying that in Afghanistan. And, and you pick up this, this language and things like that that are, you know, um, Kind of like um, it's kind of like when they teach you like trigonometry in school. Yeah. I mean, it could if this if this uh, coronavirus ends up being a zombie apocalypse. I'm I'm coming to your house. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You'll see us there. But yeah, I mean, um, uh, back to back to what I was saying. So, what what was the biggest transition? Biggest, the hardest thing about transitioning out of the military back to normal life. Um, you asked me different questions. I was, asking, I was tackle my question. I I mentally transitioned out after some things happened right at the end of my career that really triggered my PTSD. Oh, okay. Which one? Which ended well, 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 and I knew that the military was unhealthy from the mentally back home. So I was ready to transition. Yeah, you were ready to get out when it happened. I had to, I had to change. Um, 
Do you guys have anything else to, to add to the comment? No, honestly. Any, any other questions? Unfortunately, we gotta we have to end it here. Uh, our camera died. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, we're still recording. Oh, no, audio. yeah, we're still we do audio yeah. and video. Uh, it's yeah. separate. Uh, so um, we actually just hit an hour, so it's actually perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. Um, so before we go, is there any sort of uh, military secrets, government secrets you want to expose <laughs> to us? Oh yeah, like uh, pretty interesting. We had an interview uh, a couple episodes back of an IRS guy who actually sued the IRS. He was and, a whistleblower. Yeah, he was a whistleblower, and he said a whole bunch of different crazy things about them and how they work. So. <laughs> yeah. So uh. So it's because of a safety reason. Sooner than later, or more later than sooner. You know, I really don't know, and it's, I can live my life happily regardless, right? 
right? Like, I, I don't need it to change for me to be happy, mm-hmm. but it's one of those, I want to share that with folks if they're willing to listen, mm-hmm. because we have a beautiful, there's so many good things in the world, but sometimes we build bad systems that lead to behavior that we don't want. Right? Some of those guys in office don't like the way things are either, but they can't change it, you know? And so you build a system. Systems are more powerful than people are. So if you're in an unhealthy system, how can you change it? How can you do it respectfully to change it? You know, and come up with that look like. Um, in project management, that's a lot of what we do. We look at the system, and then we try to say, how can we change it for the better? What would that look like? And how do we get there? And we don't want to disrespect anybody in the process. Because if we're, we're going to be working with these guys for the next 15, 20 years. So we don't want to build bad blood, but we want to improve. Well, how do we do that in other spaces? And the government has a lot of things to improve, but they're not incentivized to do it. There's no incentive for results wow. in the government. Oh, my. And, 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 yeah, so when you when you live with that reality, when you understand that reality, it's like, oh, those guys are just racist. You can walk along with life and they're fine. Um, but, yeah, that's the biggest secret of the government, is they're not the one to get results. They don't care. If they were supposed to get results, then the CDC would have actually been built in a way where we don't Yeah, I mean, we try to ask questions about all types of situations when it comes to your life and your story. You know, we just want to learn the most we can out of we're your more, experience. We're more interested in, not to cut you off, but Thanks. We're, we're, <laughs> more, we're more interested in like the people themselves and yeah. how they got to the position mm-hmm. where they are in rather than uh, what do you do and teach me how to do it. So we, we yeah, we, we like to... Um, we always say, so I want to end off with a question, actually, before I before I even get, give it away. I want to end off with, oh, first of all, do you have any questions for us? Um, something you're grateful for, you think other people overlook. I'm sorry. Uh, what was that? Can you, can you say that again? Some, all right, something that we're grateful something for that we're grateful others for overlook. that others overlook. Mm-hmm. Something that we're grateful for that, that others, others overlook. overlook. Well, I mean, I think right, I think right now is a really good example based on this whole COVID nineteen crisis. Is that I think it's starting to teach people that you know a lot of people are not treating this as serious as they are, and it seems like they only will until it happens to them or someone that they love, where they start to become afraid. And um, it, then I guess at this time in this time is at this time in um, in our lives, it seems like we are only appreciating 
you know, just like the the stupid things. But in, <clears> when <throat> things get really scary, like like how I just said, you know, then we start to appreciate what we really should appreciate. And, you know, I, I honestly, this whole entire pandemic right now is teaching a lot of us something. And it's starting to teach a lot of us that, you know, a lot of people, it's not that they don't care, but they don't, you know, they, they don't take it seriously until it happens to them or their loved ones. And that's going to be the ultimate lesson. Uh, one thing that I'm grateful for is to have friends, because I know a lot of people take friends for granted and think that, you know, they can just live amongst themselves and they don't need friends and they're above that. So I'm I'm grateful in general for having friends that I could rely on whenever anything happens in my life, whether it be bad or good. You know, it's something to, somebody to share the experiences and the moments with, opposed to nobody. So that's one thing that I'm grateful for that other people's may take for granted. So my answer is, of course, going to be a little bit complicated because um, I just always complicate things. So I'll answer your question with this because I don't have a specific answer. Um, I like to think that something that I'm grateful for that people overlook would be um, the journey of life itself. So... For just a quick example, I'm the type of person that, let's just say a brand new movie came out, right? Let's just say that Vega went to go watch a movie and I asked, and I would go up to him and I would say, oh, was that movie good? Yes, it was. What happened? So he would say, like, you know, obviously he would say, oh, I don't want to spoil it for you. To which I would answer, you can't spoil it for me. Just let me know what happens. The reason why I don't think uh, that a movie or a show can be spoiled is because the journey from A to B or or to Z, however you look at it, is what makes that movie or that show worth watching. So I like to look at life the same way. We all know that we're going to die in the end, but why do we choose to live it even knowing the results? It's because the journey is what captivates us. It's, it's what we wanna we wanna live before we actually die. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Um, it's it's a really it's a great question to always ask yourself, right? What it is. What am I grateful for today that others might overlook? And then when you get a chance, share, right? Share what you you know what I mean. Share what you're finding out there, um, so other people can. Yeah, honestly, you asked that question and and it got me really thinking. So um, I, I'm gonna hit you with the final question, and then after you answer it, just stick around for a couple more uh, seconds as we're gonna outro you out. So the final question well, is, before. Yeah. Before we even do that, I just want to ask you to share any social media, any type of place that people can reach you. And where can people purchase your book? Books at uh, name all those platforms. Yeah, I got 
Well, in terms of overall Amazon.com, so when you look at the show notes, you guys will have my name spelled in there. If you just Google, if you just search for that on Amazon, it'll pull right up. Um, you might even see an author photo of me from when I was nine years old. Because <laughs> the photo of me at the age of nine from my author photo or something. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's available there. Okay, so um, now for the final question. Our show is called Life is Not a Box of Chocolates. And um, as you mentioned before, you saw Forrest Gump. So you know the famous line, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yep. So what does our name um, mean to you? Um, you know, life, just the, the thing I... I think of when I hear your name, it's not that life isn't a box of chocolates. It's that it's whatever your life is, there's going to be some sweet things in there and there's going to be some things that aren't sweet. Mm. And learning to like your box of chocolates, right, is the challenge and the experience that you go through every moment of your life. You know, whatever is in your box, uh, learning to love it. Uh, good and bad, and the stuff that challenges you, stretches you, causes you to grow. Um, I like the idea of thinking of life in a box. And what do you feel with? And how do you see it? And uh, I've gone through some things, some things that are pretty dark. And I choose to see those dark things in my box as being good things. You know? And I want everybody else to get those things. So I hope that's a fair enough answer for you. Fair enough. That was um, more than fair enough. That was great. That was probably one of the oh best answers God, we've had. Crying over here. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie. I mean, I say this after every single person that we ask this to, and I uh, I mean it every time. That was probably the best answer we yeah, got. That yeah, was, that was really good. It gets better every single time. <laughs> so thank you for that. You fully understood the question. Okay, so now we're, uh, we're just going to intro uh, outro everybody out, uh, and then you got to just stick around for what we like to do. Um, called a golf clap so first we're just gonna sign everybody out and then just stick stick around for 30 more seconds and then we'll be done all right yep all right rob yep. take us out yep and this is the god king voice of god city of gods aka larry tate signing off right now with the initiation of the outro of this amazing interview so the god is on his way out and it's passed on to internet you can follow me at anthony m big on instagram and you can follow my other page at podcast maniac ant uh on to danny Okay, uh, that's a wrap on this week's episode. Instagram with Danny Ams, you already know the drill. Uh, you can follow the podcast. It's at Box Chalk Pod. That's B O X C H O C P O D on IG, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you follow your social media. So, Jacob, I need one more thing from you. Yes, sir. All right, so I'm going to need you to extend. Your left hand into a 90 degree angle to where your um, your your left hand is about a foot away from the center of your chest, palms facing down. You with me? Okay. All right. Now take your right hand and place it gently over your left hand. This is what we like to call the golf clap, and this is how we sign out every single week. Okay? So on the count of three, you're going to lightly tap on the back of your hand. Dumbledore clap. Ready? All right. Three, two, one. That's, That's a, wrap. a wrap on Jacob. Thank you very much, and thank you for your service. Thank you for your service, sir. Thank you. Thanks for the conversation above everything. It was absolutely wonderful. We'll stay in touch, and we'll speak to you soon, sir. Thank you again. Have a good night. <laughs>